It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cami Carlisle. Hello and welcome to another edition of Community Conversations. I'm Cami Carlisle and today we have our very own Ryan Ozentowski in the studio. Ryan O. How have you been? Hi, Cammy. How's it going? Ryan, I'm so excited to have you here. Now, you've been with RTBS for a while, but you just have a new title, right? That's right. I am the program director. I used to be called station manager. And even this morning, I was, um, you know, I was, re- <laughs> I was recording the birthdays. And each time I introduce the birthdays, I say, hey, folks, it's Ryan O, your station manager. And after I'd already finished them and was going back to edit them, I thought, I'm not the station manager anymore, so I have to get used to this. This is this is going to take a while. <laughs> yes, I'll remind you. And we'll talk <laughs> about that more in just a little bit. Before we get too far into your new title, give us a little bit of detail about where you were born, where you grew up, all that good stuff. Well, I have to say that I've been here for four years, and Jane was always too smart to have me on uh, Community Conversations. So thank you for finally <laughs> having me on, Cammie. I feel Absolutely. liberated Absolutely. Um, when she was the host, hostess with the mostest. But I am a Nebraska native. Um, I was born in 1975 in Kearney, Nebraska, so I grew up right in the middle of the state, and and I learned a a very interesting fact about Kearney. Apparently, it's equidistant between Boston and San Francisco, supposedly Kearney, Nebraska. I have never tried to verify that on a map or with GPS or whatever, but I've, I've heard that it's true. So I was born in the middle of the country, and uh, so I I went to high school there. There's an interesting story. Um, One of the things, of course, you'll learn about me very quickly is that I'm a totally blind guy. Mm -hmm. And so raising a blind kid in smaller town, college town, Nebraska, Uh was going to be kind of a challenge. And so the Kearney Public School System wanted my folks to send me to the school for the blind in Nebraska City. And you know, in fairness, a lot of parents back then, there was a rash of blind babies that were born in the 1970s due to oxygenation during incubation. A lot of them were premature right. and they were overly oxygenated and it caused them to go blind. I have oh. a couple of friends that are contemporaries and they were blinded because of that. I wasn't. Nobody actually knew the cause of my blindness. We actually at, at one point consulted a genetic counselor mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Uh, when I was about 16, I I went through a phase where I wondered if I ever had kids, if I'd pass it on to them. And sure. we looked at genetic counseling and, and determined that it was not genetic, that whatever happened was simply a malformation of my optic nerves. Huh. And nobody could ever explain why. Um, so... I was a kid, and the Nebraska public school said, send him to Nebraska City, where a lot of the other kids go. And my parents said, no, we're not We're not uh, going to have a part-time kid right. for gone nine months out of the year. We're going to keep him home. And so they did, and I was mainstreamed. The term uh, that we still use today is, is mainstreaming, uh, where a kid who is blind or otherwise disabled is still sent through public schools mm. rather than sent to a specialized school. So, I see. So how did Kearney school system then, how did that work out for you? Well, it, it was a mixed bag. Um, I, I'm one of those kids that uh, did not enjoy school, and a lot of people just assume because I was blind, uh, but I did actually go to summer programs at the Nebraska City School, and I can tell you that I wouldn't have liked it any better there. Oh. I was just one of those kids that was always daydreaming about something else. I was always writing little stories or or thinking about books or later on girls or, you know, whatever, computers. But I I didn't care about math, science, history, uh, whatever. Um, 
I did, I, I always think back on 1987 as my fondest year. Up to that point, I went to elementary school in a small school, relatively small, where the median count was about 20 students per mm-hmm. class. And then I graduated into junior high, where they call it middle school now, but mm-hmm. junior high where we had about eight or 900 kids in the building. And it was like a brand new world where instead of sitting in one classroom for six hours a day, I went to about six or seven different classes yes. and got to inter- interact with a lot more kids. And it was just an absolute blast. It was like being liberated. But I was still the one blind kid in an all sighted school. And I carried around, you can see it sitting in the control room over there. I use it to write up the birthdays, a Perkins Brailler. Listeners of a certain age will know what that is. A big metallic (laughs) typewriter with seven or eight keys on it that makes Braille. And it's about 10 pounds and it sounds like a machine gun when you type on it. That is true. Imagine that in a quiet classroom setting where a teacher is trying to lecture uh, using a chalkboard and later on an overhead projector. I don't know what the heck they use now. Probably PowerPoint. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> uh, uh, wow. So, so you had to carry that though with I did. you, right? Back yep. To and from school. First uh, ten years of my uh, formal education, I was carrying a Perkins Brailler, and then I was again liberated from that. My sophomore year in high school, I was introduced to what was called a Braille and Speak which looks like a flat piece of wood with Uh seven keys on it, and it talks in a tiny little computer voice. That was uh, at that time created by a company called Blazy Engineering. Hmm. And now, of course, they're called Freedom Scientific. Like a lot of companies, they've merged Uh with other companies. But um, again, it was was a a huge liberation not to carry that 10-pound monstrosity around anymore and have a little tiny mini computer that I could plug an earphone into and work, you know, relatively quietly. Sure. That's, that's what carried me through uh, high school and later college. Wow. that That's, I mean, just watching you in the, the booth across the way, it, it's just amazing. You're so good at what you do and you're so fast. If I didn't know better, I might not think you were blind. Well, right? thank you. I mean, you're just, a, I mean, you get around just fine and Well, I try. Else. I try. A lot of people, they assume that it's, you know, they, they think you're amazing. They think that it's you know, that you have great skills and, and really it's just adaptability. I tell people this yeah. and they never believe me. People are very adaptable. And when you lose a sense, one of the misconceptions of blindness is that you ha- your other senses compensate mm-hmm. uh, that if you are blind, for instance, you have super smart, hear- super sharp hearing or super sharp touch. Right. And that's not true. Oh, what happens okay. is you just pay attention more. So if I'm in a room and I hear a clock ticking, People might assume, oh, it's because you're blind. You could hear that maybe from three blocks away. Well, that's nonsense. What it is is I'm just listening more carefully. Uh-huh. You have to pay attention to your environment. And that goes to traveling as well. When I cross a street, I listen for traffic. Sure. Uh, when I travel down a hallway, I listen for echolocation. That's what we call it. When my cane, uh, the taps of it bounce off different walls or doors. Mm-hmm. And you just pay attention to that stuff. So there's really nothing amazing or, or anything about it. It's just... Basic adaptability for people. Do you have any sensation of light or color? I used to. When I was a kid, I had uh, some vision in my left eye. It wasn't what we call functional sight. Mm -hmm. Um, If I was really close to an object, I could see what color it was. I could – so I remember what colors look like. I could tell when I walked into a room if a light was on or off. They call that light perception. Mm -hmm. Um, But I couldn't recognize you even a foot, two feet from me. I couldn't recognize the features of your face. I couldn't watch television unless my eye was pressed right against the screen. It was only in my left eye 
that I had vision. And then when I was 13, that faded for some reason. Um, oh, interesting. I think the last thing I saw was streetlights at night uh, mm-hmm. somewhere because for years after that, I was seeing phantom lights in my head that looked huh. like streetlights. Interesting. So, but again, it didn't – it wasn't functional vision, so I still, when I was in kindergarten, I learned Braille. Mm-hmm. And when I was in second grade, I learned to use a cane, um, which I still carry, right. uh, because I simply couldn't use um, regular technology for that. Sure. So now, with the way all this technology we're surrounded with now, what type of assistive technology do you use the most? Well, as you know, um, and as perhaps our listeners would guess, um, my main two technology sources are um, on my desktop computer, both at home and here in the control room. Mm-hmm. I use something called NVDA. Uh, and of course, I can never remember what those letters stand for, but it is basically a screen reading software package used with PCs that allows me to read what's on the screen and navigate whether it's my desktop or different applications or the internet or whatever it is I'm, I'm using. Mm-hmm. And then of course... Um, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that a revolutionary device that came along in the last 12 years was the iPhone. Mm. And I say that because people always assumed when the iPhone got popular, blind people wouldn't be able to use it because it was a touch screen. There were no tactile buttons as there were on cell phones and other technological devices previous to it. Uh But in fact, it was very usable. And so I jumped on that in March of 2010. I got my first iPhone, put my Motorola Q9M in the drawer and never touched it again. Goodbye, mobile speak. I won't miss you. Again, that's a a reference that blind people will get. Uh, I'll I'll explain that to you. Mobile speak was just like JAWS, which I used to use and I don't use as much now. A very expensive piece of external software that you had to pay for separate and then uh, install in your phone and use it to read your screen. Oh. With In the case of the iPhone and with Mac computers now, mm-hmm. they come with voiceover. We call it voice. It's called voiceover. Right. It's built in from the start. So I can, in a couple months, I'm going to have to go get a new iPhone. I'm due for an upgrade. I will not have to send off for, um, you know, spend five or 600 bucks to get a new piece of software that I have to install in the phone or upgrade it to my new one. I simply will turn on the phone, press a couple of, uh, do a couple of uh, screen gestures, uh-huh. and I can activate voiceover because it's integrated into every iPhone that you buy. Well, very good. So it's High been, five, Apple. Yeah, high yeah. five, Apple, indeed. I love that. So let's go back to when you were a small child. What did you want to be when you grew up? You know what the funny thing is? We did a career day, and uh, that's like first or second grade, and I, I dressed up as a cop. I wanted to be a cop or a sheriff. I looked like a small – the Dukes of Hazzard, if you remember that (laughs) TV show. That was big at the time. And for some reason, even though the Dukes were the heroes, I I still wanted to be a a cop. That lasted maybe a year. And then I wanted to be – oh, gosh, I don't even remember. I I think I wanted to be Superman for a while. Sure. Um, But not – Oh, it had to be junior high. I started to fall in love with radio. Ah, there um, we are. I'd been listening to it for years, of course, mm-hmm. um, music-wise. But there comes a point where, as you know, as someone who worked in radio, a switch flips in your brain and you're listening one day. I'm like, why can't I do that? And yes. I was listening to a Casey Kasem Top 40 
show. And I just like, what he does is so cool. And of course, Casey Kasem is a legend from my childhood, not only because he was American Top 40 host for, for, for years and years and years, but he was also a bunch of cartoon voices. Right. He, he was a superstar in That's my mind. Right. He was Shaggy on Scooby-Doo. He was the voice of Robin, uh, Batman's partner. Wow. He was about two or three Transformers. Um, so he was just like a god amongst men. And so it kind of went from there. I started listening to our local DJs and I would call into the morning shows and they say, get off my phone, kid. You're, you're bugging me. <laughs> but uh, it just went from there. Then in high school, I started listening to talk radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started to, you know, anything from Rush Limbaugh in the day to Larry King late at night. And I know Rush is conservative, but Larry King wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never bothered me. I didn't like sports. I was never a sports fan as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I just found it fascinating that these guys, Rush, Larry King, Jimbo Hannon, um, even the boring TalkNet crowd. Do you remember TalkNet? No. I think oh, I my God, Cammie. Uh, you, you probably <laughs> – this was before the Fairness Doctrine was repealed. Okay. And the main thing in the 80s was TalkNet. It was Bruce Williams talking about money. and But a lot of them were like these fluffy relationship counselors. Mm-hmm. And they would – it used to be like at new, like midnight or one in the morning mm-hmm. calling, talking to people. Sally Jesse Raphael even had her, her oh radio show for a while. Oh, my gosh. And oh I didn't God. care if it, if, if it was radio. I loved it. And I also discovered old-time radio, which our listeners know because we carry it here on the station. Um, the Shadow, Femmer McGee and Molly, Jack Benny, The Lone Ranger, uh, Dragnet, all of those radio shows. And – and it just floored me how this these worlds could be created with sound effects, music, voice actors. Uh, it was just amazing. And so it just went from there. And so radio has always been in my blood ever since I think I was about 10. Perfect. I forgot all about Sally Jesse having a show. Oh, my goodness. Did you know that? Did you listen I, to her? Yes. I forgot all about that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, those oh, were the days. I was this kid in junior high, and, and when I was supposed to be sleeping, I'm, you know, I'm tuned in to – either the CBS Radio Mystery Theater or Sally Jesse Raphael right. listening to <laughs> stories about, like, my husband left and, and, and I think he's gay. And it was right. just, it was, you know, again, 12-year-old kid. I'm like, holy cow, that poor lady. Right. Oh, my goodness. That's right. I love it. So, yeah. So how did you get to actually being then behind the mic? Well, uh, it's quite a story. I went to college and, I again, I hated it. Um, not because I you know, by then I was glad it was out of the house. I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. I went through, before I talk about college, I should mention the Nebraska Orientation Center in Lincoln, Nebraska. This is, back then it was called Rehabilitation Services for the Visually Impaired. It's uh, the state agency that is rehabilitation for blind and visually impaired people. Mm -hmm. And they have a center program where blind people can go and they can learn basic life skills. Okay. Because the sad thing is, when you're raised as a blind kid, you're not going to usually be expected, unless your parents are really forward-thinking, you're not going to be expected to do basic stuff. You're not going to be expected to cook meals, to learn how to clean uh, the house, ah. to learn how to travel prop- properly with your cane. Sure. Um, more and more these days, uh, you're, you, you can learn how to read, uh, use computers because computers are so integral to our lives, but you're not taught Braille even when you don't have enough functional vision to read print for a long period of time, school systems will push print on you because they're in denial about your... So these centers are are created to teach people 
how to do those basic things, to read Braille, to use computers, to cook and clean, to use a cane, to travel from point A to point B with the cane, and to maintain an apartment. And how old were you? I was 18. I graduated high school in 93, and then I went there for six months. It was, again, a very mixed experience, very bittersweet. There was a lot of things I learned about being independent living on my own as a blind kid, but mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't it was fun. There was a lot of stress involved. Yeah. Um, then I went to college for four years. I, I eventually dropped out because I simply, as a college kid, I thought it was more cool to sleep through classes and um, do my own thing and blow off class. And finally, my parents got sick of paying for it. And the state of Nebraska got sick of paying for it when I was winding up on academic probation. So Mm -hmm. I dropped out in March of 98. Mm -hmm. I went to work at the Gallup organization for a couple of years as a phone interviewer. And then I became the newsline coordinator for the state of Nebraska. I worked for the National Federation of the Blind for a few years. Uh, I went back to college and uh, repaired a lot of my GPA. I never actually got a broadcast degree, but I, I got a very respectable uh, GPA. I got that back. Uh, but my love for broadcasting never died. My dream never died. So eventually, in 2007, I went to Denver. Nice. And I tried to go to broadcast school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state of Nebraska, the Commission for the Blind, paid for it. They paid for me to go out there. But the big problem I ran into was nobody in mainstream radio wanted a blind person to intern for them. They would be all excited. They'd they'd hear my demo. They'd hear my voice on the phone. They'd be like, yeah, you got a great voice. We'd love Mm -hmm. to work with you. And then I'd tell them I'm a blind guy. And they'd be like, well, I'm sorry. We don't have the equipment to work with you. And there's no no recourse if you just want an internship. It would be – if they were so blatant, if you were applying for a job, you could look at legal action. But as an intern, you have no no recourse. So I ultimately dropped out of broadcast school, but – Eventually, after a few years working in different jobs, including um, food service, uh-huh. because um, food service has preferential treatment for blind people uh, in federal and military facilities. So I worked at various vending jobs there. But eventually, I wound up at a place called the Audio Information Network of Colorado. In 2014, I worked um, – this basically the Colorado equivalent of Radio Talking Book in Nebraska. Oh, okay. And I worked there for three years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do a lot of on-air work, but I did get a lot of behind-the-scenes program uh, directing work uh-huh. and program organization. And so when I saw the announcement come down for Radio Talking Book in August of 2017 and it said, Wire Ready Skills Preferred, Wire Ready is our broadcast software we mm-hmm. use here. I'm just like, what the heck? I'll give it a shot. And here I am four years later. Well, lucky us. Right. <laughs> I am so glad. That is a heck of a story and a heck of a journey. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're back in Nebraska. I'm sure Colorado was probably a little bit maybe more fun to be, but we're very glad you're back. Well, I, I do love Omaha. I've grown to love it. But I will tell you that the 10 years I spent in Denver were some of the happiest I've ever had. Uh, Denver is just very friendly. Um, when you're blind, um, as you know, transportation is a huge problem. Oh, yes. And the transit system in Denver is wonderful. Yes, it uh, is. It's not perfect. Um, and I used to kind of be critical of some of the aspects of it. But, of course, now living in Omaha, I'm like, oh, God, I miss Denver. I miss the light rails. I love the weather over there. At this time of year, yes, it's brutally cold in 
in Denver, but uh, the air is so dry that the snow never sticks. Right, so. I know, and then it's just gone and sunny and magical there. It is. It's it's gorgeous climate. I know that the terrain is gorgeous. I know they're having problems over there with wildfires and, and other things, and I don't miss the pervasive smell of pot. That started right. about 2014. Oh, oh, boy. But Denver was um, just... Again, as a guy that that grew up in small town Nebraska and then lived in Lincoln, where transit was okay, but uh, Denver was a liberating experience. Yes. Um, but I've really kind of settled down here in Omaha, and I love my job. I love radio talking book and Nebraska. Of course, I grew up here. The, the people, the friendly people, the kindness that everyone here, especially here at Radio Talking Book, has shown since I've been here has just been unforgettable. Well, you're right. Everybody here is super nice. I mean, like, I keep pinching myself. Like, is this for real? <laughs> is this, what's going on? Okay. Well, I know you you, you can sympathize with yeah, that. So absolutely. I get it. So you're the program director now. So tell us a little bit about that, your new role. Like, what has changed? What do you love about it? What makes you get up in the morning? Well, I would say that that I know Becca has some things she wants to, to do, um, and I'm in favor of, of those. Uh, but really, the title change, I thought, was a little more accurate to the things I was doing. It, 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 as someone who's been in radio, Cammie, you can, you can relate to this, that, that station manager is a very 20th century term. Right. And they still – I mean it's still applicable, but the fact is program director, about 90 percent of my job – involves managing the programs, whether it's the volunteers and quality control, making sure programs get in on time, Mm -hmm. making sure they sound okay. If we have a technical problem with our broadcast, making sure that that is rectified. Um, If we get new programs, I was generally the guy that either working alone or like when Mimi was here or Sybil was here, we, I would I would coordinate with them to figure out, okay, who do we want to put on this? Um, mm-hmm. We had a situation, for instance, last October where Emily Smith, who was reading What's Cooking for Us for a couple of years, moved to a different state. And so the first question was, who's going to take over? Right. So for a while, we used an external program. And now we've got Diane Johnson reading What's Cooking. And, and I was kind of the person, but whether alone or with the volunteer coordinator, we'd figure that out. So it, I went to Becca and I just said, it really feels like program director would be more appropriate, a, a, a more accurate title uh, to, to the work that I'm doing. And she was amenable to that. Well, very good. Uh, you're, you're doing gangbusters in the first, how many days have you had this title? Oh gosh, I don't what, even know. Since the first, I think so it twenty four days. Yeah. I think it rolled over on the first. You're rocking so, it, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you're, you're rocking it as communications director, Stop, so I'm thanks. excited. I'm well, excited about that. I, I love your story about radio, and I'm so glad you shared it. Now, I, I know, though, that you have a lot of likes outside of radio. Like, I've, you like Star Trek. I heard you like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is, is my favorite show. How come? Um, Breaking Bad is, I think, the best television show of all time. And I'm not just – this. it was almost – let's see. It was like eight years ago that it went off the air, and I still say it. So it's not a fad. Um, there were a lot of good shows to come out of the first decade of the 21st century. Really, television took a step forward uh, because of a lot of the the premium cable content. You had The Sopranos. You had Sex in the City. Um, you had uh, Lost. 
uh, you had shows that were in a more serialized format telling more complex stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started, I know it started in the 90s. I know your favorite show is The X-Files. And oh, yes. they did a lot of serialized storytelling where it, it didn't wind up all in one episode like Law and Order or right. Cheers. Uh-huh. You'd have to come back next week to find out what happened next. But Breaking Bad, to me, um, it it tells the story of one man's journey from light to darkness. And... It's kind of a Jekyll and Hyde story in some respects, but whereas, you know, the classic Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde story, he drinks a potion and it turns him into a bad guy. <laughs> this is a very slow process for yes. Walter White as he deteriorates from a good, loving father, husband, chemistry teacher to a murderous drug lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't happen overnight. And the main theme of the show is life is about choices, which is something my dad always taught us growing up is – you're going to be old enough to make your own choices and you have to live and, and die with those choices. Yep. And so with him, it's all of the bad choices that he made and it turns out to be pride and ego driven. Yep. Um, and I just think more than any other show dealing with an anti-hero theme, mm-hmm. um, this really documents what happens when somebody makes a bunch of wrong choices, not only for himself, but the people around him, his family, his close friends, um, the right. people that look up to him, and how all those choices are poisonous, both you know metaphorically uh, in his his presence, his personality, but in meth, which of course is very poisonous itself. Right. So, on the flip side of that, though, you mentioned Star Trek. So, uh-huh. if Breaking Bad appeals to my conservative um, view of the brokenness of humanity, then Star Trek is the opposite in that it, at least in the, the old versions, it spoke to optimism and hope for a, for a future right. where we can, in fact, overcome a lot of the demons that hold us back. So mm-hmm. I love them both and I love them for very different reasons, but they are two sides of the same coin, in my opinion. I love that. Now, I have just discovered audio descriptions. And for the first time last night, I watched something with it. And so I wanted to ask you, so in this, like, Breaking Bad, did, did, did they provide that? I mean, They did eventually. Excellent? Becca will tell you that I was wringing my hands with frustration because for the first couple of years, in fact, I even at one point thought about paying Becca to record descriptions for all 62 Breaking Bad Whoa. episodes. Well, net, yeah, Netflix, <laughs> <laughs> because Becca is, she works a lot with audio description. Yeah. Um, and ultimately what happened was uh, Netflix did it. Uh, they did all of Breaking Bad, and it happened during the pandemic, so I had plenty of time to binge it. Um, and now they're, you know, I'm seeing other things, other shows that I've loved for years come down. The Sopranos is being described, Deadwood, a lot of HBO content uh, is being described. But um, audio description is just another one of those things where, as kids, we didn't have it. and. Yeah. I had to sit at the movies with my buddy and say, what what just happened? You know, going to Back to the Future or Top Gun. Well, like, what, what did Marty McFly just do there? Well, he punched Biff in the face or, ah. or whatever. Uh, and now you can get – if you just wait, you can get a lot of content described thanks to everything from Netflix to – and I have to give the ACB, the American Council of the Blind, a lot of credit. They kind of took point on that here in America. So that was cool. Yeah. Well, I just found it, like I said yesterday about this. So I went home promptly and watched uh, David Attenborough on Netflix. Yeah. And I just loved it. I was yeah. like, this is so cool. So that was something new I learned about. Yeah. It's very helpful. Yeah. I can see why. Now, 
We have about two minutes left, Ryan, and I want to talk about how incredibly awesome you are at impressions. When did you start doing impressions? When you were oh, a kid? Oh, gosh, I can't even remember. I, I had a tape recorder when I was a kid, and I used to just do my own little monologue radio plays. But, uh, <laughs> I love it. I would like to – I'll do one impression, okay. and I'll send it out to my pal, John Klingman, who I can't tell if he loves or hates it, but he really loves my Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> impression. Good evening, Mr. Klingman. I know you'd like to see me dead rather than listen to this impression, but I think it's for the birds, and so does my cat. She's also a fan of birds. So, I'll also do my little voice for my friend Katie, my best friend Katie. She and I talk back and forth to each other. We do like Ewok speak. We drive everyone nuts because they were like, you guys are adults. Act like it. Like, no way. That was really Kiss good. Up. Thank you. I'm highly impressed. One minute left. Tell me the best thing about your cat. I know how much you love your cat, Kylie. Oh, man. I got to – well, I got to I gotta give love to my former cat, Mags. Okay. She's the one that taught me that I could be a cat daddy. She passed away a couple years ago. She had progressive kidney disease. Mm. Um, she carried me through the move here to Omaha. Jane and Becca will remember. Uh, I took some time off every now and then to take her to the vet. Uh, and I lost her, but I lost her right at the beginning of the pandemic, right before it hit. It might have taken me years to get another cat, but I was lonely living at home so much. Sure. I got Kylie. She's a Russian blue. She's about nine and a half pounds. She's a little diva. She's a spoiled brat. Um, she she doesn't care if I'm sleeping at three in the morning. She thinks it's time to be fed, but <laughs> God course. bless her. She's my girl. Aww. So Well, I hope to meet her one day. And again, the invite's always open to you to come meet my Well, I look well. forward to meeting your like 10 animals That's or however right. many you've got. I can't stop. I can't stop. <laughs> you shouldn't. Ryan. I can't stop. Be a good animal mom. I try. Well, Ryan, I could talk to you forever, and luckily I work with you. So yeah, I we can just continue, continue off yes. air. We can definitely continue off the air. I love the wind chimes. I don't even know if I want to edit those because that was so cool. Wasn't it calming? Yeah. I well, love that noise. Ryan, I just, again, my pleasure working with you. And I really want to thank you today for joining us. I'm Cami Carlisle. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks, Cami. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.